I'm Sydney. And I'm Julie. And this is Restaurant and Retail Revelations. Welcome to Restaurant and Retail Revelations, a podcast spotlighting movers and shakers in the hospitality industry. This podcast is made possible by Revel Systems, provider of the leading cloud-native POS platform on the market. And in this episode, we're sitting down with Reed Daniels, CEO of Red Savoy Pizza, which is a Minneapolis-based brand with nearly 60 years of serving Minnesota's hungry pizza enthusiasts. And as with many great stories, this one starts at a bar, but we'll share more on that later in the episode. (laughs) Yes, Red Savoy doesn't have the most conventional history as far as pizzerias are concerned, but it's definitely one born of passion and people, and I'm excited to learn more about the franchise's evolution from Reed. Let's get to it. Here's Reed. Reed, welcome officially to the Restaurant and Retail Revelations podcast. Uh, We're very excited to have you in the guest seat today. And to get things started, I want to dive into Red Savoy, um, the the history in particular. It's a pizza franchise with a super cool history. And I just want to make sure our listeners who aren't from Minnesota and maybe haven't had the opportunity to experience the famous soda style pizza get a bit of background first. So will you talk to us a little bit about the, the founding and give us an overview of how it's evolved into today's growing franchise? Well, thanks guys, I'd love to. Um, it actually started off back in 1965. Red was a, um, it's Red's Savoy Pizza, not Red is the color. Red was a guy, he went by Red because he had fiery red hair back in the day. When I met him back in 2012, he was white haired, but. Um, he was a bouncer at a, a townie bar in downtown St. Paul and then became a bartender. The bar came up for sale, bought the bar, the pizza place connected to it was came up for sale. He cut a hole in the wall and bought that too and, and started messing with the recipe in the 60s. And so really started on like this divey dive dive bar and no natural light and made a great pizza. And it's kind of a part of, you know, the ethos of the brand that's continued for 57 years now is bountiful toppings. Um, we're, we rolled out our new mission um, that is, you know, going to be front forward uh, guest facing as well as internal as skimpy as wimpy. Um, we're ridding the world of skimpy wimpy pizzas. And and the goal in that was red, you know, want it, it's a very blue collar story of like, you know, a handful of this and a handful of that on, on pizzas. The difference was red's hands were the size of bears. And they were, so he would just put handfuls and handfuls of handfuls of toppings. And so on a thin crust, our house special, which is our most popular, kind of like a garbage or supreme, is three and a half pounds. It's like, this is a no joke pizza. And so it started in the 60s and it was like this, you know, special place. And then he opened a couple of satellite locations for his family. And then um, after his wife passed, you know, he was, he'd been heckled for 20, 30 years if people could, you know, open another one. And he always said no. And then after his wife passed, he decided, sure, you can go buy the sauce, the sausage, the boxes, and the cheese for me. Go do whatever you want. And it there wasn't standards and systems and everything like that. And they had the ingredients, but they didn't have the processes. They didn't have the measurements. They didn't have the technology. They didn't have all of that other stuff. So we flipped them in 2010, 11, 12 to be franchises instead of license agreements. And then that was, we had about eight locations at that time. And 
standardizing processes and getting everything, you know, repeatable without bastardizing quality. He said, my attorneys, like, you know, censor me a little bit on this, but he said, whatever you do, don't mess with my pizza um, before. That was not the exact words he said. Um, it was a little more colorful and before he passed in 2017. So back in the day, we, you know, got on our first POS system in 2013. Back in the day with those eight locations, they had three different POSs and cash registers at all their locations. And then we got online ordering and then we got loyalty and then we got gift cards. And so like every year was another big project. And then in 17, we updated our logo, um, updated our uh, branding at the time, kind of put our stake in the flag of what soda style pizza is. And then, you know, here we are today, 2022, 18 locations, three more in build and about another 10 in development after that. So we, you know, it's, we're carrying the baton of red now uh, after his passing to say, this product is really, really good. You know, I will put it up against any pizza in America because of the sauce, the sauces and the sausage are proprietary. Our cheese is proprietary, all that kind of stuff. But like that sauce on a pizza is what makes it. And it's a little bit bold and on the spicy side and people love it and have for 57 years. What a great story. We we love a good founder-driven origin story here. It sounds like there's a lot of passion behind the brand too. And um, I hate skimpy topping pizza. So I'm I'm a fan of red already. And you know, you you just mentioned the sauce. I want to dig into this famous soda style pizza a bit more. I know you have this thin but durable crust. That's a key element, but I want to learn more about the passive aggressive sauce. And I'm using air quotes there. What yeah qualifies a sauce as passive aggressive and um, are there any other signature features that qualify pizza as soda style yeah so if we well, we'll get to the passive aggressive piece in a second but it's thin crust the passive aggressive pizza sauce loaded with toppings smothered in cheese cut into squares and so there's some density when you get to some some of those toppings on there and so the the on the soda style or on the the passive aggressive sauce that's kind of a nod to our culture up here in Minnesota where we um, we're pretty passive aggressive up here. We, you know, as like we have like it's it's kind of like um, those backhanded comments that your aunt makes, and so that's kind of what we tie into our sauce. So it's it's got flavor on the front side and then a little bit heat on the back side, and so um, that it's just kind of a nod to our our culture, and people here can uh, resonate with that. Well, that sounds delicious. And Julie and I have got to work on when we schedule these because it's always right before lunch and I'm always starving by the end. So, you know, won't be able to dig into soda style from here in Atlanta, but uh, it's definitely, it's it's inspired my next meal. So kind of building on that and the Minnesota culture and the nod to passive aggression in kind of a, a fun and playful way your branding is actually very playful and fun and kind of a, a nod to what sounds like Red. And um, he just seems like a very spirited founder himself. And so I'd love to to dig into that more in a moment. But I also know you personally come from a marketing background and that you started with a BS in consumer science and business affairs. And so I'm just curious, like, how did that background ultimately lead you to Red Savoy and then to the CEO seat? Um, great question. So, you know, a lot of times in restaurants, there's going to be like typically three types of people that are CEOs. You have a hat on when you're, when you're the CEO of a business, number one, finance, number two, ops, or number three, marketing and sales. Um, a lot of times in restaurants, you see that being operations led, you know, being an operations led 
business. And then as you get bigger, then it starts to have a finance led team. Um, and it's not common, typically common to have a marketing led team or a CEO. And so my background being in consumer affairs and businesses is why consumers make the decisions that they do and how to impact that for your business. So that's one of the reasons I'm a huge proponent of loyalty programs. Consumers have a ton of choices these days, you know, and it is the only thing that is going to win long-term in my opinion is brand brand and the feelings that people associate with that product. And so um, I was working for another company selling um, digital technology. So websites, social media and everything. And I talked to my fiance at the time and I said, Hey, I think I want to start my own digital company. And um, she is relatively risk averse, but she said, go ahead. And I was like, Whoa, Hey, wow. You're, you're, you're back to me up and we're not even married yet. And that's, you know, love it. And so, you know, she puts her, a lot of her uh, gamble in me. And um, I randomly with a friend went to a networking event um, and met an attorney to help start my business. And she happened to be the attorney for Red Savoy as they were flipping from licensees to franchisees. And they hired me as the first client. And so, or they, they were my first client is, you know, for 600 bucks a month as a contractor to handle digital. And then you know, that was a very small team back in the day, but it was very much a gritty, everybody's wearing everybody's, you know, we're still this way, you know, 10 years later, but everybody's got multiple hats on. And so that was when we originally went through a, the, the first iteration of POS back in 2013 onto a system. And then those other projects, you know, from online ordering, which has vastly changed from 2013 to now, but uh, every year taking on that next big project. And then, you know, here we are today. And so in 17, I wanted to rebrand the business. And and we had an old logo that was about eight different fonts and hard to read. And I said, you know, we need to streamline this for the next 20 years, right? You know, whatever that time frame is. And so we rebranded in 17, did the Soto Style thing. They promoted me to president in 17. And then in 18, I said, Hey, this is what I want to do over the next three to five years. And we got to a point that they, uh, it was Reg's kids then at that time that we put together a, a plan for me to take it over and buy the brand in 19. And so that's the down and dirty of my history. But I think that one of the things that we push for is always like pushing the edge on that marketing side of making it fun and appealing because that's the part of like going back to the consumer behavior is when food can stop being a commodity and you can push towards experience, that's where I think that, you know, brands really flourish. Yeah, I guess the the lesson learned is always attend the networking event. You never know what's going to come of it. Yeah, my and, attorney Meredith is, is amazing and she's still a great friend and I still wow. work with her firm and everything like that. And so, um, yeah, it's been, you, you never know where you're going to meet your next lead and next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And as marketers ourselves, I, we couldn't agree more, you know, the brand is the nucleus of, of everything. So, um, and, and speaking of marketing, um, we want to unpack some of these more memorable marketing campaigns that Sydney highlighted earlier and to set the stage for some of our listeners, I'd specifically like to hear about a few kind of the behind the scenes thinking that went into a few of these campaigns, uh, specifically the commercials featuring the Minnesota golden golfers, football coach, PJ Fleck. Uh, we also saw the pizza box pull tap campaign uh, and then the meat raffle bingo. So um, yeah, do you have a kind of a behind the scenes look at any of those? So I'm a badger. I went to Wisconsin 
I love those kinds of badgers. My wife has had season tickets to the Gophers for like 20 years. However, I love TJ Fleck, the Gophers head coach. Everything he talks about is culture, uh, building culture, building teams, playing at a high level, and he is authentic as authentic can be. And so when he came to Minnesota, I was like, oh, shit, now we have an actual viable like coach that we have to play against, right? Like a real deal football team because um, it's Burr. If you look at like early 2000s to like three years ago, Wisconsin beat Minnesota every year in football. Um, and so I like living in Minneapolis, got to know, you know, his culture, what he did. He's spoken at um, a franchisee convention for us. And then we had these ideas for these commercials, which are were pretty fun. Um, but he was a consummate pro. It was like the hottest day of the summer and he's filming and there was one take he had to like be on a knee for like an hour and he just did it. He crushed it. And he was, he, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Um, but it really tied into kind of like the tongue in cheek that we like to play and like not taking ourselves too seriously. And, you know, it's just kind of that hometown guy. And, and he actually did the barstool pizza reviews for us during the Super Bowl. So like we had no idea it happened. Um, and they, we, we thought that they were going to come because they did like a bunch of pizza places and, he was a special guest for that. So I had, we had no idea. And um, that kind of started our relationship there. And then pull tabs, we'll go to last, but meat raffle, bing, or meat raffle, bingo. But we have a meat raffle pizza too. Meat raffles are a very Minnesota Midwest thing. It's, I don't know if you guys have them down in Atlanta, but it's you go to a bar and you buy a raffle ticket for a dollar. And if they pull your raffle ticket, you win meat. It's like as simple as you can be. Like it's what like- What kind of meat? Any meat? like steaks hot dogs like, okay like, there's just like a, a like if you like google it a lot of times county bars have like a pool table and then like fill up the pool table and if you like your ticket gets called you get to go pick your meat right and so you're like getting meat for like a dollar if you win right and so that's it's it's a weird thing but it's a very minnesota thing so our meat raffle instead of a meat lovers pizza it's a meat raffle pizza uh, meat raffle bingo was a way we gave away um, bingo cards during the pandemic with every large pizza. And then I, I think they're still out there on Facebook, but I ran bingo from my house drinking White Claws and gave away prizes to, you know, whoever won bingo. And we did like these virtual game nights with our customers. Um, that was probably, I don't know, maybe summer 2020. And then Pull tabs are also a Minnesota thing. They are kind of like McDonald's Monopoly game where you hold them and you pop them open, you have three chances to win. And so we give away a free pull tab with every large pizza for a chance to win free pizza for a year. And so that's kind of like the Willy Wonka golden ticket, but you know, we've got millions of cards out there. We have, you know, hundreds of grand prize winners. My philosophy in going back to marketing and everything like that is not to discount. Um, we are a very low, no discount company. Um, and so that's our way to look at marketing in a way that says a lot of pizza places, the box toppers, or whatever, say $5 off the pizza, $3 off the pizza, or whatever. And I think it's lazy marketing. And I think that um, now, you know, there's a company out there that um, will not be named, but they like, if you ever pay full price for them, you're, I don't know why you would, because they always have a discount, whatever you could possibly want. And then you just devalued your 
company. Like there's a pizza place locally here that was $5 pizza. They no longer exist because you can't have $5 pizza in 2022, correct? And so if you if you pigeon your whole yourself on price and not quality, um, you just have, it's a race to the bottom in my opinion. And so this is a way for people very similar to the eBay effect of winning and uh, creating an emotional attachment to the brand and not expecting that discount or offer every single time they order. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's a creative way to stay engaged. It's different. So in a way, your campaign is also um, kind of a, a market differentiator. And I, I just love that about marketing as a practice is that it's often the cross-section between fun and experimental and experiential, but then also backed by numbers. You know, you're you're going to move forward with the things that move the needle and are, you know, showcasing your brand's value, your product's value. And I know that you are a numbers driven kind of guy. And I just, I'd love to kind of dig into a little bit more how data insights come into play with just the operational processes, menu items, and kind of other areas at Red Savoy restaurants. I'm going to add one thing back to the pizza pull tabs piece before I answer the question is purposely as we go digital and we go data and all that kind of stuff, we, I was really intentional of bringing a tangible analog experience in the digital world, right? Like I really wanted them to tear it open and hear the click, 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 and have that chance of winning kind of like a scratch off in a digital world with digital coupons and whatever that happens, because very similar to a Cracker Jack toy in, you know, or that thing in the Cracker Jack box, it is some sort of nostalgia and that I wanted to harken back to like the good old days, if you will, right? And so, you know, I think that as marketers, we are really like, how do we know this market or marketing's working? How do we whatever? But like, what what is the experience we want our customers to have? And we just about to launch Revel into our locations. And part of it was we need that digital experience for the guests to be really high in store. But then what is the takeaway leave behind, you know, and there's all this AR and, you know, uh, and AR is not the right word, um, the vision, you know, that video, you know, alternative augmented reality, it is AR, you know, augmented reality where you can like see your couch from Ikea in your room to see if it fits and looks good and all that stuff. But at some point, and this is where we're using technology in order to simplify our systems and processes in order to have more face time with our guests. So um, we've never used third-party delivery. We really want to make sure that you know we get that guest touch point no matter where we go. We might look at them as a order source, but we will never lose the guest touch at the end of the transaction because you know, that's one of the only things that we have left, right? You know, when someone orders online through the app and picks up a pizza, they still have to come see us and we get a chance to smile and recognize them as human beings. Same thing on the delivery side. You know, delivery is baked into pizza, but it's really important that I think that that's the way brand supersedes and that we don't become a commodity. When it comes to data-driven decisions, um, back in the day, what an example of this, and we I like to take out perspective or, or feelings in a lot of my de decisions. You know, there's like that gut feeling, you're like, is this right or wrong? You know, and I, I, I live on that a lot. 
But when we look at menus and all this kind of stuff, I remember when Red used to sell those license agreements and go do whatever you want, there was hot dogs and euros and mozzarella sticks and taco pizzas at all locations. And we would go in and we'd say, hey, let's look at all this. And the taco pizza at one location, the owner was adamant that it was like, it's so good and people love it. And I said, well, let's go to the numbers, pull up your P-Mix and let's, let's check it out. And he sold three in 12 weeks, right? And you have to bring in salsa and sour cream and chips and shredded lettuce and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, why are we trying to be everything to everyone? Right? And so let's cut it. We had dessert pizzas for a while and my wife really liked the cherry dessert pizza. And I said, don't care, right? Like it's like, I don't care your perspective because our customers are telling us what they like. And if they're not buying at a high level and it makes sense to stay on our menu, see you later. You know, some of our owners really like that. And, you know, I really liked it too, but it like at some point, you know, we're under a hundred total SKUs into the restaurant on the purchasing side. So we're really lean, low waste, cross utilized everything. And so, you know, if it's not selling, we have to bring in cherry topping and frosting and streusel for these pizzas that don't sell, don't do it. And I think that one of the, the, the things that's really hard for restaurants right now is realizing it's your restaurant. You know, we're in a franchise model. So the brand is the one that's deciding these things, but as independents and as other things, it's like, this customer's never going to come back if we get rid of the blank burger. It's your restaurant. And if it doesn't make restaurant business sense, then don't do it. And I think that we lean towards we're going to lose them all or whatever. And, and you know, if you have other operators that are kick ass, and I'm also a perspective of do a couple things really well versus try to do everything. And there are brands that try to do everything to appease everybody, but you know, the, the Applebee's, the TJ Fridays, like those diners that have like these crazy cheesecake factory, right? Or you can be really, really good at pizza, really, really good at burgers or wings or just do what you do really well. Yeah, which is simple in theory, but I think ultimately difficult to do. And uh, yeah, using data to just take the emotion out of those decisions, I think is really smart. Um, and I like how you said that. Um, and you've spoken to a little bit about Revel already, but Revel employs uh, your co-host here, Sydney and I, and we're also really excited that you guys just decided to move forward with Revel as your point of sale platform. So can you share a few of the key considerations that helped you guys zero in on Revel as the right point of sale for you guys? I, you already talked about just this idea of simplifying your operations so that you guys can focus on the guest experience. So that sounds like one. Any others? Well, so I think if we go back to like the genesis of the reason to switch, change, there's a change equation. That is when your dissatisfaction is greater than your resistance and your first steps, you know, like the easy first steps to do it. That being said, you're in a POS switch, your dissatisfaction has to be high, right? You're like, because let's be honest, a POS switch is a pain in the ass. The technology, the setup, you know, I, we're working with Kelly on your team, who's great, but like, you know, at the end of this process, he's never going to want to talk to me and I'm never going to want to talk to him again because it's just hard, right? Like you're going through and this is the way that we've done things for all these years. And so a POS change is, and I think that you guys have it in, in your logo and I think it's your byline is the heart of your business. It's the beginning uh, or it's like that hub for everything. And so we look for a partner that could handle pizza, you know, P 
pizza is a little bit different with like the half and halves and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then integrations goes second. So integrations, we have a really great partner in Patronics that is an integration partner for you guys. Uh, we handle all of our online ordering and loyalty through them. We're going to be switching our gift cards over to them. But that is, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not having to redo our whole ecosystem um, is, is a, a piece of that where we can, you know, just look at the POS, which is enough of it. And then, you know, the innovation side of it and knowing and working with your team and talking to um, a couple of people on your team about the roadmap and being able to see that there are other players out there that are just trying to hoard clients in cash and not reinvesting into the product. And, and so we wanted to elevate our guest experience. And so we, the guests, you know, you go to Walgreens and they, they, everybody asks you, do you want a loyal, do you, are you a loyalty member putting your phone number at checkout? Like we didn't have that functionality. That was something that, you know, when, like I said earlier in the podcast was like, I'm obsessed with loyalty and we need to lower those hurdles for our guests to sign up or register or add their number to the transaction. And so some of those things, you know, there's some, you know, credit card processing savings that was, was huge in the Revel Advantage product. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, we have 18 locations and 60 to $70 a month. Um, and I, uh, you know, some of our stores would be even higher than that. It's, you know, 18 grand a year. Right. And so that's a lot of, a lot of dollar savings. Um, but then the ease of use for the team. So if you look at it from like, there's three phases of, of the things that we look at is like, what's the guest experience? Is it going to be better? What's the employee experience and team member experience? Is it going to be better? And then what is our management and executive experience? Is it going to be better? Um, the fact that it's cloud-based and, you know, I, I choke with all my franchisees and I say, I want you to sit on, your, on the beach. And if you choose to look at how your store is doing, you should be able to. It's 2022. Um, we didn't have that experience in our last POS. So like it was, you know, our scheduling, we're, we're going to be moving to seven shifts for scheduling, uh, which is a great partner of yours. And so, you know, we can do our scheduling from anywhere on the planet versus right now we have to be in store remote in. And so like all of these things that get to a running a 2022 to 2030 business versus running a 1995 business. Yeah, it's, you know, there's something to moving with the times and um, there are better tools out there than some of the the original um, point of sale options or or even just basic cash registers. So uh, that's that's awesome. And, and truly, we're so excited to have Red Savoy on as part of the family, as we say, um, even if you don't want to talk to us after installation for a couple of days, we understand. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's funny because so when I, I'm a certified installer trainer for our previous POS and we would be switching stores over from cash registers and writing every name and really do delivery. So a guest calls you every Friday night and says, Hey, this is Bob at one, two, three, four main street. And every week you have to put Bob one, two, three, four main street, uh, write it by hand and whatever. It was supremely inefficient. And when I would install them, I'm like, you're going to hate me for three days and you're going to love me forever. And that's the, the process of doing a POS, which is, you know, it's hard, it's tedious. So I'm going to go in and work with our teams and it's going to be hard, quote unquote, for the first couple of days because it's changed and then it'll get better. And then we'll be able to really start to have that snowball effect in terms of technology. So 
we're really excited about it too. Very cool. So even amazing brands with creative marketing campaigns and rich histories face challenges and maybe, you know, building on some of the reasons that you were ready to make the switch with your POS or perhaps in a totally different direction. I'm curious to know what the biggest challenges Red Savoy is facing right now are and um, what kind of industry factors you are keeping your eye on closely this year. So I think that I could have a scroll for this um, that just like pops out and I start reading names off. You know, it really, it's not that bad. Holistically, you know, supply chain's real, like the supply chain crunch and, and pricing and transportation costs and everything like that are, are real. Um, we're starting to see a, I don't know if the word is the reversion, but a little bit more, the less struggles with staffing. And, and I think that one of the reasons we're looking at, or we made the switch to Revel is that we believe that some of the technology will help us with onboarding team members, you know, teaching them. We're looking at some things inside of our kitchen too that will streamline and, and we'll, that will be a little bit easier, but um, supply chain getting, like we're building out new stores and refrigeration is the problem of 2022. Like the, the timeline on refrigeration is insane. And so, um, and then and just in general inflation, right? Like, so everything is going up, right? And so like, not only can you, it's sometimes a struggle to get it and we have great partners. So uh, like our, our food providers are all that stuff, you know, that's part of one of the benefits of franchising is we have buying power and we say, hey, you, you can't be out of pepperoni. Like that's not an option. Um, so let's, and, and our partners that work with us, but that doesn't mean that it, doesn't go up in cost, right? And so, you know, I think that it's a byproduct of inflation, but it's consumer mindset right now. Our consumer, specifically in the restaurant industry, our consumers can't change or flip the switch in their head on the cost that the restaurant's prices need to increase as fast as the restaurant needs to increase those prices. So, you know, I went to Five Guys the other, and this was like last winter, and I got a burger fries and the uh, pop and, and then it was 17 bucks. And I was like, excuse me, right? And we always like, maybe it was like threw in like the 10% tip on the on the screen. And so, you know, the, the business always gets blamed for the, the cost of the tax and everything like that when, you know, the Gus works at the total amount, right? But 10 cent hamburger in 1960 is now 15 bucks, right? But because of the hyperinflation over the, from 2020 to 2022, and specifically 2021 to 2022, that right that raise in that burger or wings, for example, uh, we raised our wings from 8.99 to 11.99 for six jumbo wings, right? And you're like $12 for six wings, and you're like it's still the highest food cost on our menu, and so it should be significantly higher, but that we can't get the consumer there, and you see it at the grocery store, right? You, you go and I got deli ham the other, you know, month or so ago and it was $12.99 a pound. I'm like, that's steak prices from, you know, in my brain, right? And so that that is actually, I think, the biggest concern for me because I don't see that the pricing is going to retract. And so the consumer getting there, it goes back down the line. is like, people need to make more money. Right, in order to afford the pizzas and afford the burgers and it's groceries and rent and all those types of things. So, you know, the economic impact right now is is real. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. I, I feel all the same, you know, financial burdens when I'm just going about my day to day. I think we all do. Um, to steal and amend a line from Spider-Man with great challenges come great opportunities. So on the opportunity front, I know Red Savoy is a growing franchise with some really great momentum right now. And there's a couple elements that set your franchising apart uh, from, you know, some other brands. Let's start with the concept of the pizza mayor. Will you share a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so um, we made Red a caricature of himself, and he doesn't know because he passed, but he would hate it, and it makes me happy. It's on all of our pull tabs. It's on our pizza mayor and everything like that because he Red, Red would bust chops at his restaurant and make jokes and shoot the bull all the time, and so he would, he, he'd grumble about it, but I think he'd like it actually too. Um, you know, when, when you're running a restaurant and I, you I, like, I think of big brands, right? Like McDonald's, Jimmy John's, like Panera, lots of units, they have huge budgets, right? And they have, you know, the marketing budgets and the Chick-fil-A's, you know, I think Chick-fil-A does $7 million on average or something per store. And you're like, that's a lot of chicken. And, but then they're, they're a juggernaut because then their ad fund gets bigger. They're, you know, everything like that, where we want to play is our franchisees, even if they're multi-unit and, and own multiples, is when people think of them, they think of the pizza mayor. And the pizza mayor is the person that's involved in their communities. You know, parades on 4th of July, you know, high school football games, being involved in your community and not just sitting inside your four walls. So it's, it's, a, it's an intentional getting involved in, in acting more like an independent because that's where we see the greatest return on our marketing when we do that. When we are out and about and involved in, you know, kissing babies and saying hello and all that kind of stuff, we run for mayor, but not political office, right? And so when people see your red shirt up there or um, see the logo and they're like, oh, the Red Savoy. And because I think that if you look where independents and bartenders do really well is they have their regulars that go to see them. and I've gone to bars with friends and like the food's awful, but they go there because Matt's there, Matt's working, whatever. And so if we can build that where people really like to know the managers and the owners and the team members of these locations and get involved in your community, then they take care of you. You take care of the community, they take care of you. And so Pizza Mayor is, is our term for that. Well, pizza mayors for the win. I I love that. And you know, another thing, so it's not just for your franchisees being the mayor and giving back to the community, but you also, I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier, like the opportunity to really create a process and and kind of formalize the franchising pathway for folks who are interested. And so I'd love to talk to you just more about kind of the toolkit, the sorts of support that owners can expect when they want to start a, a franchise location um, and just, you know, what's available to them as they take the helm as the community pizza mayors. Yeah. And I'll, I'll step back in, um, in franchising in general, if you're looking at franchising is making sure that you're, there's a lot of bad franchisors out there, right? There you, you can read in the restaurant business of, you know, Burger M that's, you know, sold the bag of goods and took a bunch of money and then like bailed on them, right? But it is, how are they investing back in the system and how are they investing back in 
your onboarding specifically and then your support after you're open. So we have a, a system called the Savoy System Welcome. And this is where we teach you after you sign and you're ready to go in, you're like, okay, we're going to first give you a deep dive again on our culture, our processes, our accounting, our like, here's how, here's the map, here's your KPIs that like, this is where we see really successful stories. Then we go and bring you through Ridsway Leadership Academy. And this is where your owners and GMs come in and like learn how to make the food, how to work the POS, how to, you know, like run the business. And we strip out a lot of the, um, to, to just really streamline on, you know, inventory, ordering, and then making the food. And then because it's so streamlined, then it's a lot of the guest interaction piece should happen. And, and won't count if you call, you guys call a store, but we should answer the phone. Thanks for calling Red Savoy Pizza in blank this is blank how are you today stop talking and asking people and connecting with people and like really focusing on that that goes to the pizza mayor of like looking at everybody as people so that's a big piece of our onboarding and then you know we're training and deploying stores and free slice days and working on some of the technology and processes to you know build framework so because it's in restaurants it's really easy to not go do those pizza mayor things it's you know someone called in sick or we got a really big order tonight and then you you repeat that pattern and, and it's really hard so what we call it is helping them they a framework for food in the mouth marketing is getting our food in other people's mouths so we have a big focus on catering and all of that so we we go through that whole process during build out and then once we're open we're there with you as you open and you see those really big sales days that ongoing support so leadership calls and making sure that you know what's going on and the big changes we we rolled out to our franchisees this big change and um you know we haven't done a pos change in 10 years but it's an investment right like it's an investment in your business you know and so can we make your business profitable more profitable and more streamlined and easier and all of that kind of stuff. So we're always constantly pulling these levers in order to make our stores run as streamlined as possible. So, you know, it really is a partnership. You know, I think that, it, you know, you look at the Big Mac was uh, an idea from a franchisee or a team member. White Castle has the same thing. So, you know, there's countless of those things. So we're working on that feed. You know, we've, we've done a really good job of streamlining and, and getting pizza to be our core. And then taking ideas we have a, a pizza on our menu called the inferno which came from a location that's amazing uh, with hot jardinera on the product and so then it becomes then it's fun like so you get open and you're fun and then it's like how do we maximize and so you know and that's some of the marketing stuff that's the pull tabs that, and not taking ourselves too seriously so that's great yeah i i don't know if i'm more compelled to try a piece of soda style pizza now or try my hand at franchising it sounds like you guys have a really nice um, support structure set up for your, your franchisors. Um, Reed, thank you so much for your time and insights today. This has been just a great episode. And before we close things out, is there anything we didn't ask you today that you might want to share with our listeners? Um, no, I think that, you know, getting back to the rebel, I'm a talker, so I, I went kind of everywhere today. Regardless of technology and regardless of, the business and the trials and tribulations of staffing and COVID and everything like that is a call to the restaurant industry to realize that we're still in the hospitality business and don't become a commodity. Take care of your guests. Um, you know, even the, you know, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and, and what you do impacts your brand, 
but it also impacts the industry. And so we're all in it together. And, and if you do a great job, there's enough business to go around. And so, you know, respect, respect the industry, respect the hospitality business and, and really give it a, your all every day. For sure. Yeah. There's people at the core, you know, it, it's hospitality, it's service. And back to your earlier example, you know, you could go to a favorite bar, not because the product is great, but because it's the atmosphere and the relationships. And um, that is a really good uh, lesson to hold with all of us. So I'm going to give you one final thanks for your time today. Um, really appreciate the insights and we're excited for what's next between Rebel and Red Savoy. It's going to be good. Thanks guys. We get to work with the coolest brands. I absolutely loved learning more about Red and how his start as a bouncer for a Minneapolis bar ultimately transitioned into a full-blown pizza franchise. Yes, Red Savoy truly has a great origin story and great marketing campaigns to boot. And as I dream of soda-style pizza, I'll have to browse YouTube to view more of that PJ Fleck commercial. Too much fun. As we close out the episode, I'd like to extend a quick thanks to our loyal listeners. We know your time is valuable and appreciate the opportunity to be part of your day. Very true. And if you're not a loyal listener yet, but would like to be, make sure you like and subscribe to Restaurant and Retail Revelations on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with fresh content. Uh, 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 uh,